This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. Our special guest today is Adelina Simeon. Hello, Adelina. Thank you for, for joining us today. Hi, Bill. I'm really excited to be here um, virtually, I suppose. Yeah, everything's still virtual. But maybe one day we'll, we'll get to meet at a... Are you, gonna, are, you doing, are you going to any conferences this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to KubeCon Europe. Nice. I don't know if you're going in Valencia. And that's in a couple of weeks. So, you know... Um, there's a lot of preparation, super, super busy, and I'm nervous because I'm going to be speaking for the first time at KubeCon. Um, and I want everyone to be like really impressed with my articulation skills. I don't know, with my speaking skills. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's like what, a, you're doing like a 30 minute stage talk? Yeah. Nice. That's the first time you're going to be on stage like that? I've spoken at GopherCon before, but like, I feel like KubeCon is so much bigger. I feel like the bigger the crowd, the easier it is for me. That's a good way to think about it. Maybe I'll I'll borrow that, Bill. It is because they're everybody is going to be so far away. They can't really like interfere. It's like I like meetups better because they're more intimate. Mm-hmm. You know, talking to ten people like you, you literally have to make eye contact with everyone, right? Like there's no. Which again, I like. I like the classroom stuff anyway. But when you're on stage and there's 500 or a thousand people yeah. in front of you, you could just stare into the abyss. It doesn't. I mean, they just. I don't know. For me, they disappear. So I think you're going to be great. You're going to enjoy it. Now, I'm going to give you one trick before we uh, we start our podcast here. I'm going to give you one trick. Tell me. You're you're most nervous when you first get on stage. So what you want to do? What I always do. Is I always get on stage at least two or three minutes before I'm supposed to start. Whether that, whatever that is. And I walk the stage a little bit before I start. And then all my nerves kind of go away because I've already been up there for like two or three minutes. <laughs> all right. So you want to try to get up there and get all that out of your system. And, and then you're going to be like, you're going to be perfect. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I rehearse a lot. <laughs> no, that's good. That's so- good. Hopefully. But I agree with you. I'm also most nervous when I first go on. People think like even like very polished speakers that you see are not nervous. Everybody wants to throw up backstage before <laughs> they get on. Like that's just, it's normal. It's, it's getting through that first couple of minutes. Uh, and then I think you just kind of calm down because you know it's safe. And then, and it, but that, that's my little trick. I get up there early. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. All right. So give everybody... Um, Take like two minutes to tell everybody what you're doing today. My name is Adelina. Um, I live in London and I'm a technology evangelist at Form 3. And Form 3, uh, I run a B2B payments platform. And yeah, they do a lot like high volume payment processing. Yeah, what are you doing over there? Yeah, so the technology evangelist function for us is all about like sharing our technology and doing talks and writing other material. Um, There will be, as we continue to scale it, I've only started at Form 3 last year, and as we continue to scale it, we'll also be taking on more of the open source functionality, like sharing stuff with open source. 
Um, but for now, um, all of my efforts go into like writing blogs, sharing our engineering culture and going to talks. Nice. You're enjoying that job? You enjoy, you enjoy doing that? Yeah. So I was, um, before I started at Forum 3, I was a go backend engineer and um, I thought it was going to be challenging to do the public speaking thing. But it was just so much harder than I imagined because there's, it's up to me to figure out what I have to do. Um, and when you don't have people that are like setting direction for you, um, I just think it's so much more difficult. And of course, you know, I have, I have OKRs, I have uh, managers and things, you know, I can pitch ideas, but I'm the one that kind of like at the end of the day decides we're going to pursue this. But you're on the ground, so you're the you know the pulse of the people. So I, I think that's important that you're kind of deciding every day that this is what we this is what we should work on for the next three months, right? Because this is the pulse of yeah. of uh, yeah yeah. So that's good. That's all okay. That's awesome. Okay. So I, what I want to do is take you back into the time machine. I want to kind of get a sense of how how we got to. Uh, 2022. And I want you to kind of first memory that pops into your head about working on a computer and try to, if you can, tell us, you know, how old you were. And dates are important, like years are important because we have to get a sense of kind of what tech was like back then. So, I mean, another question I like to ask is when you, when did you finish um, your high school? Like, or the, you know, the grade schooling before university. And how old were you and what year was that? So I was 17 in when I finished high school in 2007. 2007, okay. And I actually have an American high school diploma. I graduated from Pacific Grove High in California. Oh, interesting. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're going to get there. But now I, I, I want you to... Uh, think back of that very first memory of you working on a computer and, yeah. uh, you know, making it do something. It could be a gaming and stuff, you know, whatever that is. What's that first memory that pops in your head? Yeah, so um, I was about eight or nine years old. Um, and my dad, my father is um, in the military. And he had been to America and come back with three things. And I'm going to tell you what these three. Well, he came back with more than three things. But um, the things I remember is he came back with two Prince tennis rackets which we didn't use. My brother, I have a brother. My brother and I were like, no. Uh, then he came back with a computer with like a desktop and a monitor. And he came back with Skittles. And like the last two changed my life. particular. <laughs> <This laughs> oh. Yeah, so um, I should mention that I'm Romanian. So um, in the 90s, I grew up in, in the 90s in Romania, which was a particularly challenging period in the Eastern Bloc because inflation and economic issues um yeah and then he brought the computer and we turned it on we didn't have internet when he first came with it because you have to like you had to like enable it and it was like dial up on the phone um and then i just remember it like turning on and everyone was really excited we weren't allowed to break it you know like how, you said you were 12 how old were you again when you said you were 12 eight or nine i think you were about eight or nine okay so it was like the late 90s and yeah then afterwards we when we finally got internet we could download things um and my brother was well we downloaded one single game and it was age of empires 
Okay, I got a bunch of questions here. Your dad brought this computer from the States yeah. on some trip that he was on. Did you have to compete with your brother to gain access to this computer? Were you, is your brother younger or older than you? My brother is older. Uh. So, yeah, my brother obviously was the primary computer. <laughs> um, but... You know, we, I was allowed to be on the computer as well. Like we, my parents didn't really like regulate computer use. We were just allowed to do whatever. Um, and it was the first time they'd had a computer as well, which I think is a huge difference to children growing up nowadays where their parents are used to the technology, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think just also shows my age, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, we connected on the internet. We started talking to people from different countries. I didn't speak English because I was small, but my brother knew how to say a couple things. Um, yeah, and it was just all of a sudden, it felt like there was a big world, you know? And I think that's the power of the early internet and the early computers. Um, so for me, they were just like, I didn't really make it do anything, but just this idea that you could like look things up and talk to people um, is like the number one connection tool, you know? When you say talking to people, I'm assuming that was like over chat. Like, were you? Was that over? Yeah, like over chat with people from different countries and stuff. But what what program were you using for that? Was it IRC or was it like yeah, Windows? Yeah, the yeah, Windows yeah. Messenger. Yeah, IRC. IRC. Yeah. And IRC could have been a scary place. I mean, that, that, there were some rough rough edges on the IRC back then. <laughs> yeah. Did, did your did your dad or mom did they know what you were doing on that computer at that early age? They were, yeah. My, my I actually told my mom that we like spoke to some people. I don't know what we had this obsession with like talking to people from America. <laughs> America was like the place for us. So my, I told my mom that like we'd made friends with some kids from America and she thought it was really, really cool. There was no like, Oh my God, who are they talking to? Um, so I just felt like, yeah, it's also because we didn't realize, you know, it was the first time we had this thing in our house. Yeah, no, that's, that's why. Okay. 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 You said Skittles changed your life. So like, did you get your own bag of Skittles at least? Or no. was it a big bag or a little bag? Now I'm more, like, you like know yeah. what? no, I want to know about the Skittles now because you know, I'm not a candy, I'm not a dessert person. I'm not a candy person. My wife loves chocolate. Luckily I couldn't care less, but Skittles and Starbursts are like, if they're around, I'm going to throw a few in my mouth. Like, there's no there's no way around it, right? Yeah, yeah no, I, want, I want to know about the, the Starburst there. I mean, not the Starburst, the Skittles, the Skittles. Skittles, yeah. <laughs> it came in a big bag. Um, and my dad was like, oh, you know, like, people are eating these. And at first, I didn't, I like fruit-based things. So I like fruit-based cakes and stuff like that. And then I ate one, and I just remember thinking like this is so synthetic but oh my god yeah. <laughs> and to this day like i love skittles and i always think about that story when i see skittles now there are certain foods like uh, i i don't drink soda anymore but you ever uh, the orange soda sunkissed that's like crack cocaine for me mm. if i i can't put it down I've, i i have to i can't even be in the house because if there's sun kissed in the house, it, I don't know what it does. It like goes right to my brain. 
like some sort of pleasure, like bah, and my and I, it's crack cocaine for me. So yeah. I, I, I kind of get it. So the, so now as an adult, I, as an adult, you must have access to, to Skittles. <laughs> yeah. are, you are you buying it? Is it always in the house? You kind of, I love the fact that, you know, they keep making new kinds of Skittles. <laughs> to me, the originals are the only good ones. You know, you yeah. can get them in like all sorts of other flavors. Um, but yeah, I do like a good Skittle. <laughs> you see, it's I, funny. This is funny because when I, I, I had three sisters growing up, I have a fourth one when I was 17. But like, when you're a kid, right, and you and you have to share little things like pudding, like 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 pudding and Jello were like, if I could, if I got one cup when it was out because we had such a big family, it was this big deal, right? Mm. And I always said to myself, when I'm an adult, I'm gonna make the biggest bowl of pudding and Jello, and I'm just gonna eat it myself. And that's never happened because the thought of eating that much Jello and pudding right now is like. Mm, yeah, I no. wouldn't say I eat Skittles <laughs> every day as an adult, but you know, like. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. All right. All right. So the computer comes in. You're around like eight. You're you're using it. You're playing some games on it, but you're you're really enjoying um, interacting with people. What uh, I want to talk about high school then, because you're in Romania when you're eight. You said you graduated high school in California. So talk to me about how you end up in the States and, and how old are you when you when you get there? That's yeah. got to be exciting. Like, uh, Yeah, all of a sudden we made it to America. <laughs> <laughs> but like when you're when your parents said to you we're moving to America, like your brain must have just like didn't matter. Like you're going there, right? Like talk a little bit about that. How old were you? Yeah, so um, I mentioned before my, my father's in the military, so we moved um, because of that. Um, and, uh, well, when I was 12, we first moved to Denmark, to Copenhagen, with my dad's work. And then um, I lived there five years. No, four years, sorry. <laughs> um, and then after that, I came. we came back to Romania and we moved to America when, um, to California when I was uh, between 16 and 17. Wow. So that's, that's really like, at least from the state side, that's like your last two years of yeah. high school. So you must have had friends. I know going to America was exciting, but you're you're like in the middle of your teenage years here. So, yeah, I mean, that had to be hard, too. Right. It was really it was tough. I mean, I, I did struggle a little bit, but California is so picture perfect that <laughs> I, I can't explain. Like, um, so we lived Pacific Grove is close to Monterey. It's in the Monterey Bay. And that's just such a beautiful area. I, I can't I don't have words for it. Um, and it was just, the weather was amazing and you can't, you can't be mad at California, right? So are you, yeah, are you a junior then? Do you start, you start high school there is it in 11th grade? Is that, is that? Yeah. So when I came to America, we have, uh, in Europe, we do school kind of different yeah, in yeah. the sense that, um, from what I understood when I went to high school, um, I'm not an expert, um, American students, they choose subjects and they have this like handful of subjects every year. And at the end of that, 
um, they'll have studied everything. So for example, they'll have like a year of physics, a year of chemistry or however long. Um, we don't do that in Europe. We kind of like study everything. So when I actually arrived to America, to California, we, um, I keep calling it America. I know I shouldn't. It should be the United States. No, it's all good. No, no, no. When I arrived there, they actually said that you have a lot of credits and you're, we're going to bump you up to a senior. So you're going to graduate a year early. Um, and I knew that because we're not very wealthy, um, I wasn't going to be able to study in America, eh, in the US. Um, so I took, um, some advanced placement, you can get like AP, you can take SATs and you can take AP courses and then transfer your diploma and go back to, to Europe. So when I graduated, um, I only actually lived in, in, in California for a, a little bit over a year. And then I graduated and I went back to uh, Denmark where I went to university. You went in as a senior to high school and they accepted everything you'd done and you basically, and you got a high school diploma after just that one year. Yeah. So, so I had started, I was supposed to be, if we were going to do, um, I was supposed to be age wise, you would have been in 11th grade. 11th. Yeah. Yes. So I was supposed to be 11th and finish 11th and finish 12th. So I arrived at the beginning of the 11th and they put me senior. So I skipped the year. Now, what else did you do for that year in, in high school? Were you involved in anything, sports, music? Uh, like what, what was that year? in the US in that year of high school like? It was really cool. Um, one of the things that was really struck me was the fact that I, so I wanted to take these AP courses and you know, like you have to prep a lot and I have to take these exams and stuff. And these things weren't available at the small school that I was at, but there's like a whole system built around helping you get these things so for example like we could go to a different school and take the exam there and then they facilitated so much so to me that was pretty cool as well um and i've always been quite good at, at mathematics and the sciences so that's kind of like what i focused on and i had to study a lot to like sit the exams within a year so unfortunately when i was in california there was a lot of work <laughs> wow so you were really just focused on your studies and, and you didn't have time yeah. to yeah and i remember running around the coastline i do like to run a little bit um and just you know making friends with people at school it was yeah it was just really cool to live in a place that's not cold ever <laughs> but that's also like your senior year in high school is like when you're having the big school parties and all that, right? And the kids, I, I'm I'm curious, right? Because you 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 really you grew up in your the, the kids. Did the kids seem a little less mature in the U.S. at that age than what you see in Europe? I don't want to generalize, of course. Yeah, you can generalize. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they they were very much uh, the people that at least where I was, they'd like grown up there um, and you know, they very lived very sheltered lives in a way. Yeah. Um, and to this day, I always say like a little bit of a hardship is good for the soul. Like go <laughs> some challenges, otherwise you're never gonna come up with any kind of, when you solve problems, you also learn about yourself, if that makes sense. No, no, you can't appreciate it unless you've gone, gone through some lows and, and struggled. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. That's why I asked the question because, 
really primarily, and I even see it today with some my, my own kids, right? Like just really clueless about life outside of uh, the 20 mile radius that you live in. Yeah? And I don't know, I think there's a, um, I have felt more of a maturity um, with people I've met in Europe, especially even in, in around those ages. So I, I must say like they were very welcoming. They were very nice. I took um, government, I think the name of the class was called. And I learned all about how, you know, the American government works. And I just, there's, you know, I've always been kind of a nerd about anything like if you tell me the details of how something really works and i understand its workings then it will interest me uh, even though you know i'm never gonna vote in america i'm never gonna really understand how it works right but i thought it was cool to learn about the history um so yeah that was really fun yeah no if anybody's watching the youtube you can i, I just your face is like just glowing right like lighting <laughs> up just just thinking about it um, did you do any computer sort of classes that year, your senior year? So I actually want to tell you a story okay. that I think will blow your mind. <laughs> um, so when I was studying in Denmark, so like the earlier years of high school, we did have like computer classes, but not, you know, where you kind of just learn about, I don't even remember what it was, maybe like basic spreadsheet work or whatever. And then when halfway, well, the, after the first year, so like, I think it's called junior, I don't remember, the ninth grade, at the end of the ninth grade, I moved back to Romania, where I lived until um, we got together and we like left for, for the States. And when I came to Romania to go to high school, we actually had a class called informatics. And we wrote C. Wow. Because I told you it was going to blow your mind. Yeah, so we learned how to, you know, it's not a very like well-funded school. Um, so we did have, we shared like a computer room. Well, we had like a computer at home anyways, but like I, we, you, you weren't really carrying. It wasn't the times when you were just carrying your laptop casually to places. Um, we did have a laptop by that by that point, but you know, it's very expensive. You don't want to like walk around with it. Um, so they actually taught us how to write code on paper Ugh. and we learned, um, the term paper, what it was halfway through the term, we have to write paper, right. Um, or take a sit on the kind of like midterm exam. And that was to write bubble sort selection sort on paper in C. <sighs> And it has to compile and the way that we did it, I thought it was, and I didn't understand the magnitude of what we were doing. And like now I understand and I appreciate it. And we taught with, you write the loop and on the side, you write like all, all the iterations. So I become, is that first zero? What are all the other uh... variables? And then at the end, you kind of like submit that on paper. And I've actually been to interviews as an adult where I have to write code on paper. And this is like so much easier because I was able to do that. And we did like H little HTML pages and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I thought, you know, I think this is a wild story. <laughs> My first year in university and I ended up leaving school, it was some of the same stuff. I was in an assembly language class and they had us doing it on paper. PDP 11. I mean, obviously, we didn't have these machines. 
but I hated it. Like my brain just, you know, I had already spent years programming before I went to university. So putting me on paper drove me crazy. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it at all. I mean, it's, it's not that easy. So that's wild. Yeah. And after that, when we started working more with loops, so it was, it wasn't objective. It wasn't wasn't like object oriented programming because that's difficult, right? It was just like state and loops and stuff. Um, And then we did pixel work, right? So moving pixels on the screen according to loops. So we had like, I actually made this whole like bicycle that was moving across the screen can imagine the amount <laughs> and i didn't know how to debug anything <laughs> wow and you enjoyed it you enjoyed every minute of that of, of that time it was really and it was really cool because i could really understand especially with the algorithms they taught us i could really understand and see how it relates to the mathematics and i just thought it was you know, it was really cool. I felt I we my mother is a mathematics teacher, and she says like mathematics is the queen of all the sciences. Um, and I felt like informatics, as we called it, it was really closely related, and I thought it was just amazing. That is amazing. So when you get to the stage, you kind of lost that, right? Could they yeah. have? They didn't really yeah. have the classes. No. All right. So. You're graduating high school and you're moving again back to, you said, Denmark. And at that point, you're ready for university. So what choices are you making there? I mean, you could have stayed in the States, I guess, right? Like you decided to move. Yeah, what were your options at that point? What were you thinking? So um, in 2007, Romania entered the European Union, which was great for me uh, because then I could live anywhere in Europe. Um, unfortunately, my options in the U.S. were kind of limited because um, of the way that the visas work. Um, and I already told you, like, we, we weren't wealthy. So even if I were to get a partial scholarship, there's or full scholarship, you know, if I'm really wild, um, then um, I still wasn't allowed to work, which mm. is, you know, I need to live. Um, and you as part of the visa, what you can do when you get this like student visa in the States, um, you can work on campus, but they explained to me that that's not very, you know, it's not lucrative jobs that'll help you like um, pay the bills. And I didn't want to make my parents take on debt, um, which is a lot of debt, you know, in dollars for me to go to to university and um denmark the reason well i had we had lived in denmark i spoke danish by then um denmark allows people from the european union to study uh free for free nice um so you know for me i was there are other countries in europe where the tuition is minimal we're talking like five thousand euro um, which is, you know, not the fortunes that you see even here in the UK or in, in the States. Um, but I just decided like my, my, my older brother was also in Denmark and I just said, I'm going to come back to Denmark. So let me, let me ask you, let me ask you, did, were you a little bummed out about not being able to stay in the States and did you have it in your head that I'm going to get back here anyway? So I'll just, I'll do this four years and in Denmark? I was a little bit bummed because I felt the schools that 
I could have gone to were so iconic. Um, you know, these are like these historic institutions almost, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was also, it was like a double-edged sword when they moved me up a year because I kind of like missed a lot of the deadlines to go to college in the States are very early. Um, and my options were just so limited and, you know, the system is so different. We were kind of just like floating around lost. I didn't really understand what's happening. So it was easier for me to return to Europe. Um, so what university did you go to? What, what was your plan entering university that you were going to study? So, um, Denmark, obviously, is a country that's a non-speaking, non-English speaking country, like their main language is Danish. Um, and as an undergrad, there are more courses now, but like back then, there were only a handful of universities of universities with English language um, degrees. And basically, I narrowed it down together with my family um, that we I, I was going to apply to two schools. And that was uh, uni University College of Engineering, where I was going to study uh, information technology engineering, which is what I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, we, you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. Um, and we sent an application also to go to business school um, and to do like it was more of an international kind of business degree where I wanted to do more of the mathy stuff. Um, it wasn't going to be uh, marketing or anything like that. So then the funny story happened because I think <laughs> if I would have gotten there, my life is always like funny stories, right? I think I if I would have gotten into business school, I think I would have gone to business school because it just had this reputation back then that, you know, if you go to business school, you're kind of sorted. Um, and it was kind of a cooler image, you know, to go okay. to business right? I mean, you can't argue with me, right? Um, <laughs> no, well, this, this idea that you were going into business school to become an entrepreneur and take over the world kind of stuff, right? Like the cool. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. So when I, gra everybody graduated, um, and you, the way you, it works is you send your application and then your school is supposed to send your diploma once you graduate and there was a problem with the post so they didn't put they put incorrect postage at the high school in because they usually just send diplomas inside the united states right and they didn't make it the diplomas didn't make it and i only found out because the, I got a letter of rejection from business school saying that it looks like you haven't graduated because we didn't receive your diploma. Oh. And then I was like crying, you know, because I thought here comes the rejection from engineering as well. Right. So I actually got on the phone with the engineering university. It's uh, called Copenhagen University College of Engineering. So I spoke to them and the, se the secretary said, oh, we haven't received anything. But listen, if you sort it out, we'll definitely still consider you. While business school was like, bye, because they had lots more people applying. Uh -huh. So I assumed they just gave away my spot, right? Um, so finally, we sorted out. We went and we sorted out the diploma. It arrived and then I got in. 
So wow. I know, right? It's wow. crazy. <laughs> well, things, th right? The, the saying things happen for a reason is very much true, right? Things happen for a reason. But you weren't totally bummed. I mean, you, if anything, this was going to be much more in line with what you were really passionate about. Math yeah, and it, was, it was really cool. Um, and I just remember I, well, I arrived and I thought, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to do cool stuff. And it was so hard. Like the really? first, I remember the first four semesters were the most brutal because all of a sudden I felt like nothing was coming to me naturally. Nothing like code didn't come to me naturally. The computer never did what I wanted it to. <laughs> and we back then we learned so. Um, it's called information technology engineering. Sorry, I'm looking to the side to see what it says. Uh, information technology engineering. So there was a little bit of um, also we talked about like circuit board designs and the FPGAs. It wasn't just like IT or um, you did hardware and software related. You did some hardware as well, and that was in the first few um, semesters. And after that, you get to specialize with what you wanted. So. As I continued to specialize, I went more to like numerical analysis and um, computer science. I struggled with the hardware side too when I went to university. Yeah. I, that's um, I, I, that's interesting that they threw you into hardware early because they didn't do that with us. That was, I would, and I, I guess they considered it more advanced. I, I think the hardware is more advanced stuff. So it was uh, with the circuit lo logic gates and stuff i was just sitting there no i don't understand <laughs> i'm not interested so but you fought through it you fought through it and did you end up finishing with the degree you thought you were going to start with you, you or did I, did you shift at all during those four years yeah, so I did um, just information technology engineering. I didn't end up because I think there's electronics. So you could either go for electronics engineering or information for IT engineering. Um, and everybody kind of like starts together and then branches out. Um, so I finished with the IT part. Um, yeah, to this day, I have no idea what the hardware parts are. <laughs> so you got that degree done in four years. Uh, one question that I always like asking is, in the uh, you know it's what was your favorite class in the in the four years of that degree in education what was your favorite class that you took i can tell you what my least favorite was okay tell me tell me the least favorite networking <laughs> oh or the tcp ip <laughs> stack and the way that like and then they started talking about how wireless work technology works and security it was I thought it was, of course, you know, it's not that it's my least favorite. It was my least favorite because I struggled the most. <laughs> um, I think there was one class about data structures and algorithms. I don't remember the name of it, but because of the way that we talk about how, you know, for example, when you're implementing the stack or when you're implementing um, a sorting algorithm and all of that branch is so elegant um that i really enjoyed that part yeah math and algorithms that's your but that's where you want to be so all the other stuff was a burden 
more than than anything else. I just like elegant things, you know, and when they talk about how we can optimize operations, that's what I really like. Wow, you know, everybody's so clever, <laughs> whoever came up with this. I, I never used the word clever. A lot of times I'm like, what drugs was this person on when they came <laughs> up with this? Because because it's just beyond my like comprehension, right? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So as you're getting close to graduating university now in Denmark, are you thinking more school or are you thinking because at this point now it is what 11 2011 right you're four years there so 2011 are you thinking i want to do more schooling or do i want to get into the job market uh, one cool thing that i think is very special with the way that danish universities do their degrees and i i warmly recommend the the danish universities is actually we study three and a half years and why the half you ask uh because you they you have to take as part of your degree a six-month placement at a company where you work there and they as part of their team and you're not like a junior engineer you're a placement student um and the way that companies kind of like are incentivized to do this is with tax breaks you know everybody knows in the nordics taxes are sky high you take on a couple engineers uh from university you can kind of like cut some of that taxation down and also um it's a much smaller community so lots of the already working engineers will have gone to the same universities and know the professors and things like that do you get paid for that six months too or is it just your tuition it's at the um, latitude of the company some companies do give you something because you will be going full-time but you know it's not it's not like engineering salary it'll be like something maybe to pay your rent something yeah, like yeah. That. yeah so where did you end up getting do you have a say in that or they just place you 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 have to apply, you have to interview. And I think that's super useful because by the time you graduate, you've been through it. And, you know, the first barrier to entry is much lower because it's you're kind of only competing with the people looking for placement in that particular semester. But then you get kind of also not, you not only get to try your handout at interviewing, but you also get some contacts in the industry. And lots of Danish engineering students actually end up fully employed after they graduate with the company that they did their placement at. So I think that is super cool. Um, and I would love to see it more in other countries. Yeah, it definitely solves the experience issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you, count, you you finish your degree with with at least six months of is it six months of experience or no more like fifteen? How many weeks of a semester? Like it's a course. semester, like yeah, three months or so. So where did you end up working for that last? Yeah. So because again, I'm not wealthy, I had to work as well. So I actually worked as a QA software tester at um a hearing aid company called Oticon and they do they're one of the biggest hearing aid manufacturers in the world um and I as 
as part of like me already working there 15 hours a week um you know and we do like software testing because there's um there's a piece of software that programs the hearing aids according to the laws and what it's supposed to do some of them have like specific uh, programs that they're able to do so you can swap the mode of like listening to music or whatever then they also have this like bluetooth medallion kind of thing where you can take calls with it um so there's you know they're very clever devices you can kind of think of them as like smart really smart headphones um and I was already working there and I took my placement as an automated testing engineer. So like we were writing, um, you know, basically like integration tests um, programmed um, and like searching for components on the screen. It wasn't like just point and click. Um, and it was like Oticon does C sharp. So I, I don't know if they still do, but back then everything was written in C sharp. So we were searching for elements on the screen and automating tests and performance tests as well. So, you know, software testing is very close to my heart. I think it's a really, really cool field that doesn't get enough credit. Doesn't get enough love. And the people doesn't get enough it. love, yeah. And the people doing it don't get enough love. I, I was in a shop where I was managing developers and I was friends with the a lot of the, uh, the people in QA. And I, I saw the animosity, that the, not the animosity, that the developers looked down on everybody in QA, and I hated it. So every, I started this program where everybody had to spend one week in QA a year. You had to work with, with everyone in there. For, and if you started the job, you were in there. Your first week or two was inside QA. And that allevi alleviated all the issues because now they're real people to you. They're friends. You know what they're going through. And everybody was kind of being better developers, I think. So, yeah. but that whole kind of QA department went away. It, it suddenly became a cost center and nobody wanted to have it. But I'm with you. I, I don't know how you feel comfortable putting code out without some of it. Especially, um, because what we were doing was medical grade, right? Mm. So that has to be correct. Um, people can go deaf because if you're, because you know, they can blare out one of them, one of the hearing aids was so loud because you know, people have like massive hearing loss and these things are written or like they're manufactured to give someone the power to actually hear anything. Um, and they were so loud that we had to like put these things that look kind of like stethoscopes on because otherwise we'd get hearing loss <laughs> from oh, like listening man. to what was coming through. <laughs> That's so wild. yeah, I mean, they're, they're like amazing devices. So you were already working at this company at the time you needed, um, you needed to find, so they just took you on uh, yeah. for that. And then you graduate, so I guess you stayed there. So how long did you stay at this hearing aid company? I didn't stay. <laughs> you didn't? You finished your university? Oh, okay, okay, go I on. I took a master's degree um, at a uh, university very close by. It was called Technical University of Denmark, and it was a mathematical modeling 
Um, so it's called mathematical modeling and computing, which was in the mathematics department. Um, because that was, you know, the thing that I was really excited about with all the algorithms. And now I finally got to talk more about numerical approximation, scenarios, forecasting. So that I, um, master's degrees in Denmark are two years long. So, um, I, and I took it as like a full-time study. So what were you doing for money? Cause you were working at the other job while you're doing your undergraduate because you needed money. So were you working at all? Yeah, so I, because it was what fit more with my, what I was studying, I actually started working in the risk department of a mortgage bank. Um, oh. So financial risk. And again, like they were excited because I knew how to write code and they, the financial risk department were like amazing. And I didn't, you know, I don't actually know to this day exactly how to measure financial risk and what the formulas are, but um, I was able to do like data preparation and handling data in um, a language called SAS, which stands for statistical analysis software. And if you do any kind of statistical analysis that has to be presented to the regulator, then it has to be written in this proprietary language. You can't just present whatever you calculated in your, you know, with whatever plugin you found on the internet. Wow. Um, so that was also really amazing to work with. It's the mortgage bank is called New Credit, so like New Credit, um, and it's the third in Denmark, um, the third biggest bank. But, but when yeah. you when you decided you were going to do your masters, I'm trying to get a sense of where you thought your end game was. So you're going to do your masters and then get your PhD. You're going to do your masters, and now I'm going to go in industry. And now you're doing all this heavy duty risk analysis. You're, you're, you're loving it. So what happens when you finish your, your two years? Now we're talking like 2013. Yeah. Working with this company. Do you stay at this company or you said adios? Unfortunately, 2013 was not a great year for banks. Uh, so I wasn't offered a placement to stay at New Credit um which is fine you know i learned i got so much from the two years that i worked there uh when it came i also wrote my master thesis with them on like the risk of derivatives and stuff and it was it was just a really cool team and they taught me a lot um so when you graduate you're kind of like what do i do like who will who will interview me. So another cool thing that universities in Denmark do, which I don't know if other schools do it because I've not been to other schools, is they have an internal job board. And you go there and there's like an engine where you can search for the companies that will want to interview people from your university. Um, and I think that's awesome because not only was I absolutely entirely clueless about anything in the world, but also where do you search for jobs? How does it work? Right? So you have the school that kind of tries to facilitate that for you. And I, I don't know, I would imagine that, um, universities in the States have this ability as well. Um, but yeah, so I looked on that little like job board and um i applied to go to work at accenture oh a big 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 consulting firm 
And the reason why I did that is because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I had friends that were like, oh, you know, I'm for sure the whole banking angle wasn't going to pan out unless I took a PhD um, because, you know, they won't just take whoever to work in the quant department or in whatever you, these people are working with huge amounts of money. Like most of them do have PhDs and um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think that when you're I know it gets a bad reputation, but I actually think consulting is a great place to go and learn and try things out. I think consulting is really good early on because I call it chaos, right? It's chaos engineering or chaos, whatever it is you're doing. You're, you're jumping in different clients. They all have different problems. And, and it's good to even know if that's the type of environment that you flourish in. I've met people who can't flourish in it. They need they need uh, stability every day. They can't deal with walking in the next day. And so you look like you enjoyed the chaos. of. Can, how long were you there for? Um, just shy of a year because I wanted to move to relocate to London because, I don't know, I just had this idea that living in London was going to be so great. You know how young people get ideas in their head and you just can't get rid of them and then you're... There was this nagging feeling that I really wanted to try living in London. Okay, time out, time out, time out. Okay, <laughs> time out a second. There is nothing in your story so far that even remotely suggests that London is on your radar. Like, I could see you saying, I wanted to get back to the States. I wanted <laughs> to do that. But and look, I love London. It is one of my absolute favorite cities in the world. Actually, I'm going to be going there in the end of July. I'm really excited to get back there. I love London, all right? I think it's better than the, I think people from New York City love London, London like New York City. All that being said, where, how does London get on your radar screen? Because we haven't talked about uh, that at all. So first of all, it's never gonna happen for me to move to the States because it's just so hard to get a visa. And I also, you know, I was at this point still a Romanian citizen. The rules are very different. Um, so that wasn't going to happen. But in the rest of Europe, and I don't want to, of course, I don't want to generalize, but at least like in the circle, how I perceived it, London is seen as kind of like America, but not really. Um, you know, they've, they have this reputation of like the startup scene and, um, just really great technology and like a big city that you can go and just experience this like super metropolitan life. So yeah, I should have explained that better. It, it, it was as close to America as you felt you could get to <laughs> at that moment in time. And you were done with Denmark. It was time for you to, to do that. So brilliant. So you, you're, you're there for less than a year and you start throwing resumes at London, talk about how you how you get there. It's so different. I was, you know, there's this um, comic, I think, on XKCD or whatever it is, where it says, like, I'm wildly unprepared. Like, that was me. Wildly unprepared. We In London, there are recruiters. There's a whole industry of... But you just went to London? You just packed your no, bags and said, no. I'm going? There's recruiters. <laughs> there's like a million job boards. It's just completely different from how we do anything in, in Europe. In Europe, people just put... you. Well, at least in Denmark, I'm not going to say Europe. I take that back. In Denmark, when you do a job post, there's a deadline. 
and they won't hire anyone until you like they reach that deadline so you have lots and lots of time to prepare your resume there's no like stealing the job from under you none of that is like completely different so i actually uploaded my resume to one of these job boards and then recruiters got in touch with me and they they set me up with three interviews and I flew to London. <laughs> I was going to say, this is like 2015-ish? 14, 14. So you didn't do these interviews over the phone. They flew you. You must have been so excited. I know. <laughs> to get on that plane, free hotel room. I'm going to enjoy this. What were the jobs? Okay, before you tell me anything more, right? What were these, what were the jobs for what, what were these, what were the roles of the jobs? I don't remember the names of the companies and I, I knew you were going to ask me. So I tried to look it up, but like it's all been so long. No, but I want to know, was it a math role? Was it more like financial spreadsheet risk? Was it software? Like It was mostly, so one of them was something to do with um, image processing. I don't remember the name of it. It's gone bust. One of them was like betting. So hedging bets and working with like this kind of stuff oh you were going to be a bookie yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) handicapping they call it here in bay like you you were going to be a handicapper you were figuring out the odds no there's you know there's they build these like i don't know bet 64 or whatever yeah yeah. massive platforms um and you'll you have to have someone that takes the other end of the bet. Anyways, I'm not going to. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Okay, yeah. And the third one, which is the one I actually got, it was, uh, they did like online games. <laughs> online games where it looks like, you know, you're kind of, there's a prize draw and you buy tickets. Um, and it's like a basically a gamified kind of like a lottery. Like a lottery. Okay. Yeah. So that's games the one of I chance. When I came to interview... Uh, again, also the interview experience is completely different in Denmark. You just go in for a chat. Everyone knows, and on your resume, you can see like what courses you did. Everyone knows the professor. They know exactly what you learned in that particular course. So it's, and here they have started asking me like, can you write some code on paper? I'm like, can I ever? <laughs> uh, so, you know. I like, was born to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can do that. Um, so it was, yeah. So that's, I, I got the offer from this company. And I'm a person that um, gets really excited about um, when people are nice to me. And I just felt like, you know, this place is such a like nice, fun place to work. But now you got to find a place to live in life. Okay, so like, did you? Okay, before before you go there, were you consulting at all with your parents doing this? And how many times did they say, Adelina, you understand how expensive it is, Adelina? What do you think you're doing? Did, did you did you as a parent, right? You know, like this, that stuff starts to happen. So are you like, I don't, I'm gonna make it happen. I don't care. It was so stupid. <laughs> it was the stupidest thing. Like I was so set on making it happen, and. Um, but you made it happen, right? Like that that's where being young, the ignorance is bliss sometimes is a huge advantage, right? A huge advantage. It, I was dead set on it. And my parents just said, like, we support you. Just do whatever makes you happy or young, right? Um, and then actually, this is really funny. I said, 
<laughs> in the end, I, after speaking to my brother, who was my older brother, who was like, you shouldn't do this. What are you doing? Um, um, he, he convinced me to kind of treat it like I'm going abroad for a little bit. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for a couple months. And he, maybe everyone expected that I, I was going to hate it and just come back. So we said, I'm only going to pack one suitcase with my summer clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you end up? You found a flat with somebody? Like I didn't know anyone in this country. I didn't know absolutely anyone, not a single soul. Um, and I ended up in a flat share with some people because that's like London life sure. until I, you know, got everything settled. Fortunately, um, as part of the European Union, which was the case back then, you don't need sponsored visas and all of that. So you just come and you get registered and you just live here after that. And then you get um, a bank account and just like work here and after a couple of months living living in a flat share i moved to a small studio apartment in like nice. zone six if so for those people that live in london zone six is not an attractive zone um i think there's only like eight so i was pretty out there yeah 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 like to get to to get to the job on the underground was that like a 45 minute yeah. Yeah, it's a 45 minute. And you had to pay extra for each zone. So, yeah. But you found a place you could live that was comfortable. But, you know, living the, living the dream. And then I just kind of got like really into it, to be honest. It's a place where you can meet a lot of new people. So eventually I did make friends. What was their stack? What was their stack over there? What were they coding the games in? Oh, yeah. Good, good, good question. Um, java and so i was actually a full stack java developer um and i wrote a little bit of javascript and one of the things that i take a great pride in having coded all by myself my very own feature um it was this timer uh, on so the whole, it wasn't an app like it was like back in the day right there weren't there weren't you couldn't just like make apps however you wanted um so it was like a web you loaded it on mobile on web, right? And with JavaScript, we had like a timer for the prize. But the prize is like the server time for the prize, right? And this timer in JavaScript is running on the client, right? So we had to like figure out, figure drift out. And then it looked mm. like cards like this, you know, the cards were dropping like this. So if we were lagging too far behind, I didn't want to like announce the price lag behind and the price was actually like too late. So you couldn't buy tickets. Um, so we would like speed up the cards if we were lagging behind. So I, I took great pride in that. Yeah, that's great. not easy. Like you have to, it's like measuring latency in a sense to keep every front end client uh, flipping those cards the same. No, that's not an easy problem, but that's a problem right up your alley. Yeah. <laughs> if you get disconnected from the, from the server, then we just continued like dropping like normal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't rocket science, but I thought it was a pretty cool feature. And it was my very first one that I did by myself without like my team lead and stuff. But you wrote that in JavaScript because that was front end and stuff. Yeah, and the API endpoint to like check 
the time. But that was the first time you were coding in Java and JavaScript? No, so I learned Java in, in university. Okay, and then okay. at Accenture, I also wrote Java um, as a back. So how long are you with this gaming company? It wasn't a raving success, I must admit. Um, but it was just, you know, I was just excited to move. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't the best idea. But um, after about a year, a year and a little bit, um, it, you know, it started to be very clear that it wasn't going to be a successful company. And, you know, startups, startup success rates are ridiculously low. Um, so I actually moved to a company called Alpha, which is a consulting company. Um, and actually the founders that of Alpha, it was called Alpha, Alpha Consulting or whatever, um, came from Accenture and they did their like specific for asset finance for like financial services while Accenture is like a broader company. How did you find them? Was it, did it just pop, did it come across your desk? Did somebody tell you like, how does that pop up on your, on your radar? Those recruiters, you know, they do their, their magic. Um, but yeah, I interviewed there and I thought, okay, this is a grown up company for me. I'm such a professional. This is going to be the place for me. So I went and it was a Java enterprise. Let me ask you a question. I, I don't want numbers, but did, was there at least a raise involved in this jump? Yeah. Okay. So, so you, you're, you're, you're progressing both in career and, 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 and money's getting better there. Um, yeah. So then tell me what you were doing over there. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, backend engineer. Um, well, you could do front end as well, but like my thing was backend. Um, was, you know, I was never any good with the front end, even though I sometimes try and I even still like now I sometimes do write a bit of react and I'm like, Whoa. Anyways. Um, so I was a backend engineer in Java and we had, it was the first time where I worked with like an extensive engineering team and, you know, merging code and the, how just deploys work and releases and, you know, proper test environments that the client do acceptance tests on. So I learned a lot. It was like, it was a pretty cool experience. And then slowly I became a senior and I started leading my own little team. Well, how long were you there then? You were there for a while. You got there in like 16 and you were there. Yeah, I got there in 15 and I left at the end of 18, 2018. Three years. Like that's uh, you know, I mean, you've only stayed in university that long up to this point. So you must have really enjoyed the work there. Plus, they gave you your team. How did you like managing people when they started telling you you were going to start managing people? I thought it was really cool. That the prospect of mentoring someone for me is very exciting. The prospect. So a lot of the graduates that um, Alpha hire are from other backgrounds. You don't have to be um um, you don't have to have studied engineering because of the consulting aspect. They feel like they can do, they need a variety of skills um, and people come in and write code. So we teach them to write Java internally. So there's like a whole induction. Um, and then after that, they can specialize in whatever they want. Um, if, you know, client, more client facing, more, you know, migrations, more the build system. So all of this is done internally according to like what you, what you want. But when you moved into management at this point, you're doing less coding, right? You're doing more 
mentoring, I guess, more code review. Yeah, more mentoring and more breaking down large features or like large pieces of work and making sure that we kind of like fit everything together. And there was, of course, like a, an ad, a part of like, you know, what do you want to do with your career? Like this kind of like both technical and more aspirational mentoring, I think it's called. And to me, that's really exciting because the first time that I saw that they you know, the person I mentored started writing code in a similar to way to how I write. Oh, that was very, very exciting for me. So what happens in 18? What happens after three years? Are you bored? You're just, are you feeling maybe you're not as technical as you wanted to be? You want to get back into math? Like what's going on? I was a bit scared that my technical skills were not gonna stand the test of time or whatever. Um, and also I felt like you know, everybody was doing, the cloud was a big thing, doing distributed systems was a big thing. Alpha didn't really have much because everything was like hosted on this enterprise platform, which was still basically a monolith. And I felt like by the time that they actually revolutionize or like redo a whole bunch of these service of this monolith into services, that's gonna be ages. And by then, like the whole industry is going to have moved so quickly forward. Oh, wait, wait, I'm going to pause you one second. How did you know that the industry was moving in that direction? What were you doing outside of work to start to see that, that sort of change? Are you going to meetups? Are you reading? Where are you getting that education from? We, I mean, we went to conferences, but yeah, there was like skills, skills matter meetups. And, um, I was trying to just like be really involved with the Java community. Um, and the Java community is really established, obviously. Um, and I was like looking more at kind of like what Scala was doing as well, which was because Scala started coming out and being more adopted um, around those years, at least from my perception. Um, and just like everybody was talking more about like this big volume platforms. Were you having these conversations with your team and, and and upper management as well, or these were not conversations to have at the time at, at work? I don't think so because like they, the clients that they were working on with were, you know, not the most modern industry asset finance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So, you know, I just felt like there wasn't gonna be space for this kind of stuff. So then what happens in 2018? Another recruiter email comes across your desk or? No, this time not. Okay. <laughs> we like, like to change things up on you. Um, so actually someone emailed me, not emailed me on LinkedIn, one of the managers um, at Deliveroo um, for the people that don't live in Europe, because like Deliveroo is only really in Europe. Um, it's kind of like Uber Eats, um, but with, yeah, with tracking of the whole platform and stuff. Um, and then the manager wrote to me and said, like, would you be interested in a chat? And because it was a manager that actually worked there, I responded because it wasn't just like a whatever recruiter. Um, and then she started telling me kind of the things that they build and that they write Go and that they're a language agnostic company and they seemed really, really cool. Um, 
so that they're growing and all of that. And to me, like the the fleet, like the amount of engineers that they had, it was already like close to 350. And that was like huge compared to the scale of what I'd been working on. Um, so I went to the interview and back then you could go into the office and see what it was like. And it was very startup vibe. Everybody was very fun. And then like, it was my first system design interview where they were actually told we were talking about caching and some really like cool stuff that I hadn't had the chance to discuss until then. Um, so yeah, I signed on the dotted line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're passing really complicated tech interviews too which is right like which is great which is great i mean and, but they you didn't really have the experience for the level of the distributed systems they were running but you must have proved to them that you you could you understood them where i mean where is that coming from again i guess you're studying yeah the live coding and i also have like i do read i read like old timer this again shows my age i read like actual books and like oh this is interesting <laughs> you know not no, not so much like the um online like the kids do <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd rather have a book in my hand but they're hard to come by you mentioned that they were coding in Go. Was Go on your radar screen prior to... No, so I feel like I've always felt that actually. It doesn't matter what you write with. It should just be something that you kind of transcend as an engineer. It doesn't matter. It's just a tool. Don't get like attached to it. Um, there are people that, are, that say, I like this and I don't like that. That's not a valid argument to me at least. Um, is it good? Is it optimal? That's something different. We can talk about how it's not a suitable tool for whatever problem you have. Um, so yeah, I thought it was immensely exciting that they were language agnostic. So I could go and if I wanted to be on another team that used Rust, they had like Rust, then I could ask to move and try that. Um, so I joined the consumer team um which are just absolute legends i had so much fun um and learning you know my first time where i kind of like looked in the aws console and all of these things that i've never seen before and it was like a whole new world you know the whole aladdin scene <laughs> <laughs> that's why how long were you there at uh deliver um, shy, just shy of two years until the end of 2020. Um, by the way, I don't know. We changed jobs a lot in London, I think, <laughs> which maybe some of your listeners might not be used to. No, I, 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 I'm, since I've been doing the podcast, it's, there are people that, you know, after two or three years, they, they bounce and it works for them. And there are others who they like to play stay somewhere five, six years and it works for them. I don't, I don't think there's one perfect formula i think you move when you're when when it's right for you so yeah so i think that's fine but what i mean you've learned a whole nother level of engineering like every job took you to another level of engineering whether it was people or tech yeah. and delivery got you now into amazon um, related services uh, 10 times bigger than where you were terms of engineering property process and all that. You're back to being an individual contributor, right? You're not managing people anymore. So, you know, that, that was kind of cool. It was really cool. And, uh, you know, learning Go, just the 
going from Java, which had been like my world and learning Go. I had like taken courses on was Coursera to try and write some Scala. So I'd, I had tried a couple things. Um, but then like learning Go was the first time that I actually tried like really learning another language and writing code production code in it um so i read the the blue book the go fundamentals i you know i watched talks and stuff and i actually was so excited i spoke at my first conference in um so i ran a workshop like an introduction to go workshop and we built like a mini deliveroo during the Ooh, workshop nice. um, which is just a rest api i mean let's be serious <laughs> we called it the mini delivery um <laughs> yeah and we talked about the http package and all of that and it was um you were there actually speaking uh and it was in it was called go lab in florence in oh, 2019 yeah. um and it was my first time going to a go conference and it was the vibe was so different compared to the java conferences and to me, I just felt like it was wild that I was allowed to contribute after being a gopher for such a short time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a wonderful conference. I love that conference, um, and the and the people that organize it are are really. Yeah, they they asked me to come back this year, and I told them to put it on my radar screen. That's um, how much I love it. Like I, I'd love to be there again. It's it. You're right. That they do an amazing job here. It was it was really wonderful and Florence, of course. It was, yeah, it's Florence. Yeah, it's stunning, <laughs> stunning. Um, yeah, and then so I haven't like ever since I started writing Go, I've only taken like Go roles um, because I think it's so cool, and I just love the fact that it's just a very open community. I think there's a lot of oh, first time speakers when people talk about it. There's a lot of still talking about like learning the language. Um, so yeah, I think that's cool. So then what happens in 18? You're, you're, I mean, you're definitely taking your, you're definitely growing as an engineer for sure. Um, and I imagine that you could have learned a lot for at least another three years, even after that. So what happens in 18? Yeah, there's, um, I mean, it was in the news anyways, there's been, um, so COVID hit and, um, Deliveroo did like a round where they put a whole bunch of us on redundancy. Um, and so wait, that would have been like 20. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right, well, right, COVID okay. hit like before. So let's say COVID, at least it got really bad, like in the beginning of 20 and then later on Deliveroo yeah. kind of like put us on redundancy. Um, so they didn't make me redundant, but they, the, the way that the process works here in the UK is you have to like notify everyone's then that's being considered. And then you have to, by some process, um, determine who's going to go. And, um, it didn't sit very well with me. I was a bit annoyed that all of this was happening. Um, so yeah, in the end I decided to look for another job okay. um, yeah and i joined a startup which who's which is called Saitora, which is um an insurtech startup and the cool thing which i thought was like the coolest thing and i they're gonna hear this and they're gonna be like what so first they were a go house but they're entirely serverless okay everything was functions in the cloud 
yeah, everything was lambdas and um, API gateway and stuff like that. Um, and I thought it was like amazing and working with Dynamo um, and all of it, the whole serverless setup was like really enticing to me. So I would, that's why I took the job. I love, <laughs> I love that every job you took, it was with tech that you didn't know going yeah. in. That is amazing. I have not met a lot of people who, who do that, who can do that, who are excited about that. Yeah, that's, I I, no, it's wild because you're, I could tell you for me, every time I have to start learning something new, and I've said this before on the show, I get a little depressed because I like, I got to start over. You like get excited about stuff. Oh, yeah, I get to start over. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's wild. I love going in wildly unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was really cool. Like I learned all about Dynamo. We actually spoke in 20, so I started in like end of 2020. And we spoke at GopherCon Europe, where we actually talked about serverless and we built this like little like tweet bot uh, by we is, I mean, what me and uh, our lead engineer who was working then in Saitoram. Um, and then I wrote like a series of, um, a series of blog posts about like Go concurrency. So I started getting more into like sharing things and then I started my blog. Um, so I started getting more into this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so that's why I, I took the, no, you're right. Like maybe I'd just like to make my life more difficult than it has to be. No, I don't think it is. I, I think the other amazing thing is you get hired in these companies where you have <laughs> almost not, you have strong engineering experience. I don't want to say that, but with the, with the techs, the stack, tech stack that they have, you have like almost no experience and all these companies are, are bringing you on and obviously you excel. There's got to be something to the way you interview. It has to be, I almost want to interview you, just a uh, job interview, just to, <laughs> just to see what that is, because I, I find that fascinating. The thing that I always want to remind people um, is that you don't get hired for what you can do. You just always, you always get hired for your potential, right? So, and for your attitude, like that's a huge thing that you do get evaluated on what's your attitude in the face of something you don't know and how do you react? Like, do you make the most of it? Um, yeah. And just like, are you, are you willing to challenge yourself? And I think that's why people say yes to me. <laughs> I imagine that when you, when you realize the mistake you made was something you kind of more laugh, laugh it out instead of get upset at Right. I, I, I can't imagine getting you upset just talking to you now for like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, because I can get really frustrated when I can't get something to work, you know, and then when I figure it out, I'm good enough to laugh about it. And I think that's helped me. I try not to get too stressed out. So like um, when I was, for example, when I'm on call, which is like to me the most pressure situation, it's a lot easier for me if someone's with me, even if like it could be anyone doesn't have to be like an engineer that works with me. And then the fact that that person is there and I start to like talk about what's happening and I explain and that whole thought process like helps me to calm down, keep it cool and actually react in a constructive way. So how long are you with this company? 
just a, a little bit under a year because I wanted to try as I started to write more blog posts and go to conferences. I was invited to speak at Women of Silicon Roundabout as well, which was like great. Um, we did a system design workshop, which I thought was kind of cool. Anyways, so um, I thought I'm going to try and see if I can get a job in developer relations. And I interviewed at Forum 3. Um, and it was the first time where I didn't do a tech interview. And by the way, it was very tough to like not know exactly what to expect. I'm a very like big into prep kind of person. Um, and the interview process for the developer relations role, the technology evangelist role, was just chatting to the CTO, to the marketing, and just discussing to see if the fit was there. Um, so I didn't, I was like, I can't let them get creative. That's another lesson. If you're talking to someone that has vastly more experience than you, you shouldn't let go of the reins of the conversation. Nice. Because otherwise they will go into the, you know, the green field <laughs> and you'll be lost. Um, yeah, so I did a little, a little bit of prep, like put together some ideas, uh, some boards for them to discuss so we could kind of like think what I could do with developer relations for their company. And uh, they liked, again, you know, <laughs> no experience into what I was trying to do, but they liked that I, you know, I tried and I came up with something. Um, yeah, so that's the, the current role I'm in. So we have like 10 minutes left. So there's a couple more uh, areas here that I want to explore. Talk to me about your training class on LinkedIn. Tell me how you got invited to do that and how that's going and, and the work you're doing there and, and kind of the future of that too. It is so cool. Um, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. That includes being on call. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but also it's the coolest thing I've ever done, I think. So one of the things that I struggled with coming from just being an engineer was communicating. All of a sudden I have to speak a lot. I have to write a lot, right? So um, I didn't think that putting together, you know, podcast or putting together my own YouTube video was something that I could do, to be honest. Um, and then they never told me exactly how they found me, but I think it was the concurrency series that I wrote on Saitora's company blog. I was still working at Saitora when they wrote to me, so I wasn't into developer relations. I was a backend. Um, and someone from LinkedIn wrote to me on LinkedIn, and they said they wanted to talk about me becoming a LinkedIn learning instructor because they're adding more Go content on the library, and they're looking for people who write Go. Um, I thought for sure it was a scam. Let me tell you, I was like, there's absolutely no way. But then the emails came with like the LinkedIn headers and I looked up like the center address and it seemed like it was their domain. So, you know, I was like, okay, I'll take the call. And then the um, pro uh, content producers, they have like a content producer person. She, she came on and she was like talking to me and telling me how it was going to work. And I have to come up with an audition. You have to audition. So you do like um, their videos are between five and 10 minutes long. And a, the series of videos makes a course. Um, and you have to do like a five minute video. That's your audition as if you were like actually auditioning just without like the fancy headsets, the fancy everything. 
So I did like a little, I don't remember what it was. I, I wanted to do Go Concurrency anyways. So I did like, um, I think it was like a Go routine with a mutex or something like that, something simple. And it was obviously awful. <laughs> how many How many takes did you, how long did it take you to do this five minute video? Did you do a lot of takes or you just? It took me a whole weekend to put together. Um, this like five minute job right that was supposed to be five minutes i had like three nervous breakdowns i wasn't allowed to like stop <laughs> like you can't edit yourself you it has to be a raw take so they can see how you work right and to my great surprise they said yes <laughs> i was like oh my gosh um you're always surprised i mean your whole life everybody has said yes <laughs> yeah. no more being surprised <laughs> um yeah and then after that what you do is you go through they give you access to the library and the way you get on linkedin learning is with the either with premium or you get your own linkedin learning membership so like there's two ways so they gave me access and you go and you look at what's already been covered in, in the library you can't just like do the same thing as someone mm. already done um, and then you look at that and put together a table of contents um which was for me, it was like 25 videos or whatever. And in each, they give you prompts where they tell you like, tell us what you're gonna learn in this video. Um, and I did this like table of contents and an accompanying document about why people should care about this topic. Um, and then that was approved. Um, and then what happens is like basically LinkedIn agrees, you may, it's an agreement between you and LinkedIn that this is the scope of the work you're going to deliver them. So the TOC is kind of like, this is what I'm going to do for you. And it can be changed. Um, after that, you get assigned to, um, another, a person that helps you kind of like meets with you every weekend or every weekend, every week. Um, and you do like progress updates and you discuss with people and then together you put, um, the course and it's finally amazing. they send you a headset and you record at home before pre COVID you would fly to their studio in California. So missed that oh, opportunity to go to the states <laughs> that's amazing I, I i i listened i think to about five minutes of one of the videos that you oh it, it was what an honor no, no 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 it was it was really well done it was entertaining if uh if you're learning go and you're looking to have someone who's entertaining while teaching yeah you got to check check out annalina's video They're, they are they're really well done yeah, so they help, you know, they, they help a lot with how you read things out, how you should phrase it. Am I putting together a coherent presentation on the whole? So these are just things that I think are amazing. I can't believe that I got to learn from professionals. Um, and I, you know, it's really tough to actually unless you have experience to put together a coherent story and that's uh, that's core to what i do now so i'm like forever grateful to them you said you had a toc of 24 how many have, have you have you finished that table oh so the, the toc for concurrency so that that was that's finished those 24 videos i think um and then we discussed because i have this whole story about going from java to go um so we just recorded another another course all about that, like helping people get started if you're already familiar with Java.
um, to get started in Go. And one of the things that is vastly different, in my opinion, is how you unit test. So that's like covered. Because, you know, JUnit is such a beast machine. <laughs> JUnit is so complete, and you just test in a whole, whole different way. Right. We are pretty much out of time, but I'm going to predict that you're going to be working at Microsoft, Google, <laughs> or Amazon within the next two years during your DevRel. You're amazing. I, I have so much fun talking to you that I, I, I'm, I'm going to make that prediction now. We're going to see where that goes. But <laughs> I could be wrong. But I don't think I'm going to be wrong here. And then we've got to get you to apply for GopherCon USA. So we get you out to the States. Oh, <laughs> finally. I've actually been to Florida, not just California. So, But I haven't been to New York, which is somewhere I really want to go. Um, you, know, you know what the trick is, by the way? What you do is you buy a ticket to our, like, let's say you're going to Orlando for the conference or wherever you go in the city. What you do is you make sure you fly through the city that you want to hang out in and you can get, like, you can delay the flight a day or two. So you're paying one ticket price. So in other words, you fly to New York, but your your next flight doesn't actually leave for like two days. That's clever. And you're not buying two plane tickets. You're just, you're, you're, you know what I'm saying? And you can even call up and they'll do that for you. Yeah, that's how you do it. <laughs> I was going to say like, now that I have more money, it's like hard to find the time. You know, well, you know, you, you have that week, so you spend uh, at least a full day in New York and then you fly down and, and make it happen. Okay, this is this was brilliant. I, I, I really thank you so much. It was like last minute to kind of get you to get you here, and I really appreciate that you took the time today to talk to us about everything Thanks you're doing. Thanks so much for inviting me, Bill. I was I was gonna make a joke that I would have canceled my birthday party to be on your podcast. No. <laughs> but, you know, but, but maybe that's just a little bit weird. But anyways, I decided to go and tell, tell you the joke anyways. Uh, is it your birthday? No. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure and thanks for having me. So if anybody wants to reach out to you after hearing the show, we'll get all this stuff in the, in the show notes, but how, what's the best way for somebody to reach out? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter. Um, my, my handle is a bit funny. Um, classic underscore addits. It's like a shortened version of my name. Um, or you can just, I think you can just search for Adelina Simeon on LinkedIn. Um, right. and I'll respond quickly to everything. <laughs> so don't worry. Send me a carrier pigeon and I'll write back. <laughs> All right. This is great. All right. So this is Bill Kennedy and Adelina signing off. Thank you for spending time with us and hope to see everybody again real soon. Cheers. Bye.